What's up? Jason Tatum here. Ball up wherever you are with NBA 2K Mobile. Playing game events to collect NBA legends and rising stars to assemble your dream team and settle things on the court. Download NBA 2K Mobile now on the App Store and Google Play. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with River Brown and I think this is now episode 83. I could be wrong. I think it's 83. But the NFL draft, at least the first round of it, has happened already. And right now it is one in the morning where we're at. We're in New Jersey, Eastern time. And we decided to make an episode, you know, to recap the first round and talk about the main storylines and where we see teams after this first day of the NFL draft. So before we start, I wanted to address uh, something that's been going on behind the scenes of the podcast. Uh, We wanted to address it. And if you've been watching the podcast recently or listening, you have noticed that Jack has not been here for a while. And sometimes Riv is not here sometimes. And I want to address that right now. So Riv, his situation, he has a full-time job and he has a kid. So it, it's, it's hard for him to make every single episode. So he usually is only able to make it once a week. And Jack, as of recently, has been really hammered with a bunch of stuff outside. Like he's doing stuff for his school at Montclair State. He's producing content. I think he's has a commentating gig for this league called the A7FL. So because of that, Jack has wanted to take he's decided to take a temporary break from the podcast we are not sure if he's going to come back or not we hope that he does but we're not sure if he is but we want to let you guys know where everything stands right now and if he decides not to come back we we will still continue the podcast and go on like that we'll probably try and rotate a third person in and have them fill in on in that you know side of the table or it'll just be Riv and I, and we'll do a two-person podcast. But yeah, that's where everything stands currently. And I just wanted to tell you guys so you guys know where everything is at and you guys aren't in the dark about what's happening with the podcast. So on to the first round of the NFL draft. So I'm going to just list out the picks that happen, and then we'll get into our topic list. So Trevor Lawrence went one to the Jaguars. Zach Wilson, two to the Jets, Trey Lance, three to the 49ers, Kyle Pitts, four to the Falcons, Jamar Chase, five to the Bengals, Jalen Waddle, six to the Dolphins, Panay Sewell, seven to the Lions, J.C. Horn, eight to the Panthers, Patrick Sertan, the second, nine to the Broncos, Devontae Smith, 10 to the Eagles, Justin Fields, 11 to the Chicago Bears. Micah Parsons went 12 to the Dallas Cowboys. Rashawn Slater, 13 to the Chargers. Elijah Vera Tucker, 14 to the Jets. Mac Jones, 15 to the Patriots. 16, Zaven Collins, Cardinals. 17, Alex Leatherwood, the Raiders. 18, Jalen Phillips, the Dolphins. 19, Jamin Davis, Washington football team. Number 20, Kadarius Toney, New York Giants. 21, Quiddy Pay, Indianapolis Colts. 22, Caleb Farley, Tennessee Titans. 23, Christian Darisaw, Vikings. 
24 Najee Harris, Pittsburgh Steelers, 25 Travis Etienne, Jacksonville Jaguars, 26 Greg Newsome, the second Cleveland Browns, 27 Rashad Bateman, Ravens, 28 Peyton Turner, New Orleans Saints, 29 Eric Stokes, Packers, 30 Gregory Rousseau, Buffalo Bills, 31 Jason Away, Baltimore Ravens, and 32 Joe Tryon, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So that was the entire first round, and it was a hell of a draft. I had a lot of fun. We did a live stream. It was fun. We made it up to pick 25. Yes, sir. But now talking about the first pick, Trevor Lawrence. In your opinion, Riff, do you think that Trevor Lawrence is going to turn around the Jacksonville Jaguars franchise? I think he's the first step in turning the franchise around. You know, I think it takes... You know, in football, it's not basketball. You know, one guy can't change the game like people in basketball, you know, like LeBron or Russell Westbrook or Kevin Durant. I think in football, you need a team effort, but it's definitely great to have a quarterback at that spot. And I think Trevor Lawrence is the first step. You know, I thought Minshew was good last year, but you need a franchise quarterback, a guy who's going to change the game. So I think it starts with them. You know, they have a lot of cap. They have young talent, DJ Chark Jr. on defense. They have Josh Allen. The Viscous Chinook. So they have guys out there that can produce. They have a new coach, Urban Myers. I think that's going to be great for them. He's going to come in and change the culture and definitely build the foundation there. So with that being said, Trevor Lawrence, I think, is in a great spot. He's in a perfect situation for him that he can lead a team and definitely they could build something around him. I think the cap is probably the biggest thing for them. You know, Jacksonville, it's been dysfunctional, but I think Trevor Lawrence getting there is the first step in showing that it could be a functional opportunity. Yeah, it could be a functional organization, so I think that's good. But I think all in all, this is a good spot for him, and I think he'll be great there. Yeah, I think this is the first step in turning this organization around. I think their owner, Khan, I mean, he's willing to spend whatever to make the franchise functional. They got Urban Meyer, who everywhere he's been, he's been a winner. But obviously, the NFL is such a different ball game, and the transition is immense, but He's familiar with Trevor Lawrence, and that's why, I mean, Trevor Lawrence was going to be the pick regardless, but having Urban Meyer there, that Trevor Lawrence was the reason he took the job. Lawrence has been compared to Elway, Luck, Peyton Manning. So, yeah, so he's this next guy up, and the Jaguars have some talent. It's not like they're a talentless team right now. On offense, they have LaVisca Chenault, DJ Chark, Marvin Jones Jr., James Robinson, They drafted Travis Etienne with the 25th overall pick. So their running back duo of Etienne and James Robinson is going to be really good. I mean, you can use James Robinson in early down situations and use Travis Etienne as like a third down running back. And then they got Chris Manhurts, who's like a blocking tight end. So I think their offensive weapons are fine. And their offense coordinator, Daryl Bevel, I've seen him in Detroit. He, he He was a pretty good play caller. They didn't have much success. But that's mostly because of situational game call, um, play calling, and not really because of his play calling. Like I, I think his play calling wasn't that bad in Detroit. So I think Lawrence is in a good situation, and the Jaguars and Jaguars organization, and I know Jaguars fans are ecstatic that Trevor Lawrence was the pick. You know, and I think like what people like fail to like coming in as a college coach, people think, oh, you know, he just coached in college, and it felt different. But I think what people feel like nip under the butt is the recruiting impact. I think Urban Myers, you know, being able to recruit and who he is, I think when it comes to free agency, 
he'll be able to give that pitch to free agents for them coming. So I think that's going to be good for them too. But like you said, with all that talent, even on the defensive end, they got young talent. They just drafted C.J. Henderson, who showed some promise last year. So I think with all that being said, you know, this is a young team, a very good core group of guys that's going to be good. And bringing in, whether it be youth talent or bringing in veteran talent, is going to be good. And like you said, the owner's going to spend as much as he needs to get Trevor Lawrence some help. Yeah, their offensive line also isn't bad. Uh, Andrew Norwell, Brandon Linder. Uh, Jawan Taylor, mm. like those are some solid guys on the offensive line. Cam Robinson, AJ Can. So I think the Jaguars are in a good situation. But obviously, a lot of pre-draft has been made up of Trevor Lawrence's mindset heading into the NFL because he said that football isn't the end-all, be-all. Pretty much that this isn't the only thing that's going to define him. And a lot of people took that as. He's not all about the game because he doesn't have this massive chip on his shoulder. Do you view that as a downside? No, because I think, you know, what starting to be noticed in the league is it's not just about football. You know, with CTC being available, people starting to you know retire early. Your career could be over. You look at Andrew Luck. He was pretty young when he retired, you know, so your career could be over in it just in a game. So I think noticing that it's not all about football and investing in other things to help your life, you know, financial wealth is a big thing. And I think being that guy that can extend that with him being as highly as he is having the, you know, endorsement deals. I think that's good that he's looking outside the box. I don't, he went to Clemson, you know, he didn't lose as a reg in the regular season. He's a winner. So I'm not never going to downplay his winning. I know he's all about winning. He wants to bring a championship to Jacksonville, but I think his comments went a little, like people took it a different way. And He's like just thinking outside the box. You know, there is life after football. You know, there is a career after football. So I think he was just thinking outside the box. Yeah, I think so, too. In, a, in an interview with Sports Illustrated, Trevor Lawrence talked about how, you know, his goal in life in general is to be a good husband, a good father, oh, things yeah. like that, a good family man. But in terms of football, the most the biggest goal for him is to is to win a Super Bowl. So his mind is in the right place. But he also understands like. You know, I'm not the only person that can make this successful. In the NFL, especially in the football, it's a team game. You need the right coaches, the right talent, the right protection, the right receivers. You need everything in order for you to really succeed at a high level. So that's why he's not he's not trying to say that, you know, football is the end-all, be-all for him. Like, there's more outside of life. And I think a lot of people got to try to take on that mindset because there's more to us as people outside of our professions. And I think he's very mature in saying that. But I think what's going for Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars that nobody mentions is that the AFC South is not a tough division. Mm. The Titans are going to take a drop off because they lost John o. Smith and Corey Davis and Arthur Smith. Their defense is not that good. Uh, the Texans, they're dysfunctional. And the only team they have to catch up with is the Colts. And the Colts, while they have a great roster, we're not sure if Carson Wentz is going to be the Carson Wentz of old and really come back. So the Jaguars in a division that doesn't really seem to be that difficult. Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, with the Colts being as talented as they are, they still have a quarterback issue. You know, they have to see if Wentz is back. Like you said, the the Texan the Titans are gonna make a drop are gonna have a drop off. You know, they still have Ryan Tannehill, they still have Derrick Henry, AJ Brown, but that defense was horrible. I don't think they've done anything to really fix the defense so far. So that's good. and then the Texans are the Texans. You know, we don't know the Deshaun situation at this moment. Their team, they made some improvements, but we don't know if he's going to play or not. And the AFC in general, you know, Miami's getting better. You know, the Patriots just got back. They retooled, reloaded. So it's going to be a tough conference in general. AFC's getting better. 
But I think in their in their division alone, they just really have to worry about the Colts, and they have the most money in the division. So I think that's going to benefit them too, also. So I think we could both agree that the Jaguars look really bright with Trevor Lawrence, and Trevor Lawrence is not in as bad as as a situation as a lot of people think that he's in. But now transitioning to the New York Jets. Boom. The New York Jets had the second overall pick, and they drafted Zach Wilson, who many Jets fans, including myself, hope is the franchise quarterback of this team because we thought it was Darnold. We thought it was Sanchez. For a little bit of time, we thought it was Geno. And even one for one game, we thought it might have been Greg McElroy when we had a comeback win. Real Jets fans will, will remember. It fits. <clears throat> but we're hoping that it is Zach Wilson and personally for me, I trust this New York Jets regime 100% to build around Zach Wilson. I know I wasn't high on Joe Douglas before, but he has 100% earned my trust as a Jets fan. This is not Mike McCagnan. This is not John Isdick. This is Joe Douglas, a guy who's been a part of two Super Bowl rings with the Ravens, one with the Eagles, and was a crucial part of building those championship teams. These past two drafts, he has done an exceptional job. This one, we're not sure so far. It's just been the first round. But Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, who I think can be a Pro Bowl guard, he's drafted two offensive linemen in the first round in the last two drafts. That's more than John Isdick and Mike McCagnan did in 10 years. Mm. So Joe Douglas understands what it means to build through the trenches. I think, you know, I think what he's doing right now, getting Vera Tucker and getting Makai Becton last year is what Mike Tannenbaum did when we drafted the Brickishaw Ferguson and Nick Mangold, you know, solidifying the offensive line. This offseason, he signed Corey Davis, Tyler Croft, who's an okay tight end, Tevin Coleman, Keelan Cole, and on defense, we needed an edge rusher. He signed Carl Lawson, one of the more underrated edge rushers in the league. He signed Sheldon Rankins, a guy who can play at a Pro Bowl level when healthy defensive tackle. Vinny Curry from the Eagles, Gerard Davis, and LaMarcus Joyner. And in my opinion, we got a haul for Sam Donald, a second, fourth, and sixth rounder for a guy in Sam who has not proven to be anything in the NFL so far. I mean, best of luck to him in Carolina, and we know in the Jets he was in a bad situation. But watching Sam Donald play, some of the mistakes he made were on him. It was not on the play. It was not on the coaching. It was simply on him. And... This first round really made me trust Joe Douglas. Drafting Zach Wilson and then trading up in the first round and saying, no, we need to surround Zach Wilson with a good offensive line and getting Elijah Vera Tucker, who I am really high on. And now our offensive line is Makai Becton, Vera Tucker, Connor McGovern, Alex Lewis, and George Fan. And on day two, there are prospects out there still like Tevin Jenkins, Aziz Ojulari, Creed Humphrey, and Landon Dickerson. I think we're in such a great position. And this is the first time that I trust the Jets regime and I trust this Jets regime to do right by Zach Wilson. Yeah, and I agree. You know, you, you, you look at the Jets over the past couple of years, you know, trading Jamal Adams, getting Sam Donald, virtually no help. And like we could both agree. I, I understand he, you know, he didn't make the best throws, but he also didn't have any help. You know, the team didn't put the best guys in front of him, but also he didn't perform. I think this 
this draft, we're seeing a little different. You know, you guys got your guy at number two, Zach Wilson. You guys got Elijah Vera Tucker, and I think that's good. That's showing a step in the direction, you know, getting a new coach that's going to be paired up with Zach Wilson. I think that's going to be good for you. Realizing Corey Davis, he's a good receiver, you know. He has these issues, but when he plays, he's good. So I think with this team, you're definitely seeing a step in the direction, and I think that's good, you know, with the Patriots retooling, Miami getting better. It's time for the Jets to make that step forward. You know, the Bills are still there. But I think this team is definitely showing the ability to get up there. And I think Joe Dallas has earned the right to say he's doing a good job in fans. You know, it didn't look like that from the beginning. But I think now he's starting to prove to you guys that he's ready to make those moves. And not only that, but Robert Sala, the energy he's going to bring into the building. We're going to run the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan offense, mm. West Coast scheme, <clears throat> which is great for any quarterback to be in. We have defensive talent. Our defense is not going to be bad. Zach Wilson yesterday said that if he was drawing out and mapping out the best offense for him to play in, it would have been this offense, the Kyle Shanahan, Matt, Mike LaFleur, Sass, Mike, Matt, Matt, Matt LaFleur offense, the West Coast scheme, it would be this offense. Robert Sala told Zach Wilson, this organization is going to do everything to uplift you and not the other way around, meaning that we're not going to ask you to carry our organization. No, we're going to put you in a position where we, we carry you and you just shine. And to me, that speaks volumes. That speaks to me that the Jets are serious about this. And I think Zach Wilson is a special talent. I'm on the boat of Zach Wilson is not far off from Trevor Lawrence. Mm. I know he had this meteoric rise this past season, which has led many people to be skeptical. But when you turn on the tape, you watch the throws that he makes. It, nobody in, in this class can make the throws that he makes on a consistent basis. Those pro day throws that you saw, he does that in game. He is next level when it comes to that stuff, moving safeties with his eyes, reading defenses, not making much mistakes. I'm really high on Zach Wilson, and I'm just excited as a Jets fan that we potentially have our franchise quarterback, and I I trust in this regime, an organization now, to build around him. You know, and, and like you said, Kyle Shanahan offense. You have, like, when you look at a Kyle Shanahan offense and the Niners, you see the Debo Samuels, the Brandon Ayuk. I think you guys have those type of receivers, and Jameson Crowder, Corey Davis. Like, you got those guys that can make those type of plays. And like you said, I don't think he's your potential franchise quarterback. I think he is your franchise quarterback. I think Sam Donald, you know, as good as he, I don't think, like, I think he was still young coming out of college. You know, he was, what, 19 years old. You know, he had a, the tape really didn't show that, like, you know, he came in and he wasn't the prospect Zach Wilson was. I think Zach Wilson, you've seen the type of throws he can make. You've seen the type of plays. He's just electrifying, and I think that's good for you guys. You get a guy in New York, somebody who can definitely put the team on his back and can make some plays and put some fans in the seat. So I think that's good for you guys to understand and say the things you said. Because I don't think you guys were saying these things to Sam Darnold. I think now that you're fully committed and you're making the moves that back what you're saying, I think that's good, and that's a step in direction in a new functional organization. And Sam Darnold, his tape was filled with turnovers. And everybody hoped that it wouldn't that wouldn't be the case in the pros, but that translated, and that's part of the reason why Sam Donald hasn't been successful to this point. But just back to what I said, I believe in this organization. I believe in Zach Wilson, and I think every Jets fan should be excited right now about where they are headed as an organization. And now talking about Trey Lance, who was the third overall pick. 
the 49ers basically surprise everybody, you know, come draft day, because a lot of the experts and analysts and insiders thought the pick was going to be Mac Jones and every 49ers fans fan hated it. Uh, nobody really thought it was going to be Justin Fields. And it, you know, it ended up being Trey Lance and Adam Schefter reported that the 49ers did not tell their coaches or scouts their pick. They didn't know the team was selecting Trey Lance until the pick was announced. And just to reiterate that, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch knew. They just didn't tell the assistant coaches or the scouts because they didn't want anything getting leaked out, which means that all of this talk, all of these rumors about Matt Jones to the 49ers was false. Wasn't false, I would say. It was like a smokescreen, but even even today when we when we were watching uh Kyle Shanahan yeah. talk, he said it came down to two guys. It came down to Mac Jones and Trey Lance. And today on the Pat McAfee show, I mean yesterday on the Pat McAfee show, Pat McAfee said that it won't be Mac Jones. He says his insiders have told him it's going to be Trey Lance. And it did end up being Trey Lance. And I will say this. From the very start of this whole circus of when they traded up to the pick, I thought it was either going to be Mac Jones or Trey Lance. I think Mac Jones is better right now. I think he's more NFL ready right now. But Trey Lance ran a similar offense at North Dakota State. Trey Lance has more potential than Mac Jones, even though I think Mac Jones is better right now. And Kyle Shanahan, when they first made the made the trade, said that Jimmy Garoppolo is our starter next year, which made me believe that, okay, this means they're going to go with a quarterback that's a project that's going to sit for a year and then come in in 2022 and really start. So that's why I think they went with Trey Lance. But overall, you know, I'm not too high on this pick because to me, Lance, I know his potential is off the charts, but it doesn't really move the needle for me. You know, and it, it I would be higher on the pick if Jimmy G was healthy. You know, he's a guy who gets injured a lot. You know, with Mac Jones, you get a guy who, if Jimmy G goes down, he's ready to step in. I don't think Lance at any point of the season is going to be ready to truly step in because I know Niners are in win-now mode. You know, their defense was hurt last year, but still was one of the best in the league. Their offense is back this year. I know they're definitely in win-now mode now. And Jimmy G, you know, he was on that team when they went to the Super Bowl. I thought Mac Jones could come in and still – not maybe not Super Bowl, but definitely get them a playoff team still. I don't think Lance can do either or right now. I think he's too raw. You know, he hasn't played in over a year. The inexperience is there. But from a potential standpoint, I get it. You know, he could fit that system. He's also, he's raw, but his potential is to the roof. He has, top, in my opinion, top two, top three potential out of all the quarterbacks. But at the same time, you know, the way they were speaking about it, you would think, you know, the way the trades was going, how they was talking about moving Jimmy G, you would think Mac Jones would be the guy because they were in win-now mode. I never thought Trey Lance was going to ever be in win-now mode for them. But at the same time, you know, like we've been talking about it the whole time, the Niners had the best situation for any of these quarterbacks, no matter what quarterback it was. This was the best situation for anybody. So this is going to be a good spot for Lance. If he fails here, he can't – I don't think he'll succeed anywhere else. So I think this is the best spot. Kyle Shanahan is going to get him right. That team's going to get right. They got offensive weapons. George Kittle, they have a good all-line. They have Debo Sammy. Brandon Ayuk, he emerged last year. They have a great defense, you know, so it's going to be good for him when he eventually step in. I think it just comes to the point where if Jimmy G gets hurt, what does Trey Lance do when he steps in? Does he 
perform? Does he still look raw? How is he going to look? I think that's going to be the decision. But I think we're all in agreement. Jimmy G is going to start day one. He's going to be there. And then they're going to kind of groom Lance in the process. You know, I agree. And between Lance and Fields, I think Lance was the right pick because I think his mechanics and he's are better than Fields and he's a better thrower. And I'm kind of glad they went with Lance, not for the 49ers sake, but for Mac Jones sake. And we'll talk about him a little bit later on the show. But I think that if they would have selected Mac Jones, all eyes would have been on Mac Jones and the 49ers and all of the NFL fans would have been rooting for the 49ers to fail to say, I told you so, you know, so I'm glad they didn't put Mac Jones in that type of hell of a position with pressure. Trey Lance right now, I think the feeling of him going three is neutral. Yeah. I mean, if Mac Jones was the pick, everybody would have hated it. If Fields was was the pick, everybody would have loved it. Lance is kind of neutral. You know, people are like, okay, let's wait and see. We know his potential is there. So this is a wait-and-see situation, and you mentioned it. The 49ers have the best situation of any young quarterback. So Trey Lance has a really good chance of succeeding, and we'll see if he actually does. And if he doesn't, is Kyle Shanahan really a quarterback guru? We're not sure. At that point, he starts to get really questioned. Yeah, and I agree. I think, like, you know, I've been – I have my friend Avion. He's a Niners fan. He sends us the Niners media. And listen, they were excited about Fields. They All Niners fans wanted Fields. They hated Mac Jones. They went on rants about Mac Jones. And they were kind of like, all right, if we get Lance, we're cool with it. So, you know, so like you said, it was neutral. Lance, you know, even when we was watching, they kind of got a, oh, okay, like we got Lance. It wasn't a big cheer, but it wasn't a boo. You know, it was kind of in between. So I guess Niners fans are okay with it. And like um, Kyle Shanahan was talking about, Jimmy G's a winner. You know, regardless of what you want to say about his play or his skill set or his limitations, he is a winner. He gets in games. He's a game manager. He's He can get you a win. He can maintain the game. So that's going to be good. Hopefully, if he stays healthy, you know, they said he's been working. So if he stays healthy, Trey Lance can just slowly walk through the process. If he gets hurt, then unfortunately, we're going to have to see Trey Lance in the fire. The NFC is tough. That division alone is dangerous. And one, you know, one mistake can put them out of the playoffs. So I think that's going to be a situation where they're going to have to figure it out. But all in all, all in all, like we said, you know, best situation for Lance. Yeah, I agree 100%. And another pick that was made in the draft was Jamar Chase reuniting with Joe Burrow. The Bengals selected Jamar Chase with the fifth overall pick in the draft. And will the duo of Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase be as special in Cincinnati as it was in their lone year at LSU when they went all the way to the national championship and won no. and dominated that game. Well, yeah, listen, I, listen. I, in my mock, I had Penny going here, but I didn't mind either or pick. I felt like the offensive line was needed. You know, when Joe Burrow went down, him and Wentz were the number two in most hits by a quarterback. But, you know, getting chased, you know, still, like we said, like you said before, there's still guys on day two, day three that the Bengals could still get. But Jamar Chase was a hard guy to pass on. You know, he... You know, with A.J. Green out of his prime and not being that guy. T. Higgins is a good, big, heavy receiver, but I don't think he's the number one. Tyler Boyd either. I think you get Jamar Chase. That is your number one guy. You got Joe Mixon down. Now you have a dangerous three-man offense. You can run Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, and that is dangerous. Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase already have that chemistry. He got that chemistry locked in with Higgins and Boyd. I think 
Higgins almost had about 1K last year. Yep. So, so it's like now you got three dangerous young receivers, and I think that's going to be good. Joe Mixon is still in the backfield. He's really young too. So I think this Bengals offense is starting to become exciting. I think that's good for the Bengals. Joe Burrow, I think, is the guy for them going forward. I think he's their franchise quarterback. So that's good. You just have to fix up that O-line. They fix up that O-line. You know, Cincinnati can finally become relevant. You know, even with Andy Dole and A.J. Green, they were somewhat relevant. I think this team has a chance to be a lot better than those teams. They just, Joe Burrow has to come back healthy, and this team has to just build that offensive line. Yeah, and their receiving core is going to be great. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd in the slot, and Auden Tate, who's a good fourth receiver. He could, honestly, if he was starting next season and Jamar Chase wasn't the pick, I would have been really high on Auden Tate. And also, I like C.J. Ozama. He got injured last year, and Drew Sample has shown some flashes. Personally, for me, I didn't think they needed to go offensive line because I think they just signed Riley Reef, a right tackle, who's an average right tackle. He's not going to move the needle far, but he's going to move the needle somewhat. And Jonah Williams was their best offensive lineman on the team last year, and he plays the same position that Panay Sewell plays. So what they need is interior offensive linemen. They need a center. Right now their center is, um, I forgot this guy's name. I'm trying to remember it. Uh, It just slipped my mind. But their offensive line, the interior of the offensive line is Billy Price. They didn't even pick up his fifth-year option, and it's Quentin Spain. I like Quentin Spain. He's okay. But getting a wide receiver for them, in my opinion, was the right move to make. And right now I'm searching up their center because I want to actually know who it is. So it's Trey Hopkins. I knew it was Trey Hopkins. Their guards last year were Michael Jordan and Quentin Spain. (laughs) And their center was Trey Hopkins. Michael Jordan is a bad guard. Quentin Spain is okay. Trey Hopkins, he's below average. They could get better. But on day two of the draft, they can very well draft the Creed Humphrey out of Oklahoma, uh, Landon Dickerson out of Alabama, or they can go with Tevin Jenkins if they really want to go a tackle, Wyatt Davis at guard for Ohio State. I mean, there are a bunch of offensive linemen still on the board. There was going to be no Jamar Chase here. And I think the connection with um Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase is just too hard to pass up on. I mean, they're really close. They had a historic season at LSU. And Jamar Chase looks like he's going to be an elite receiver, at least a top 10 receiver in the league. So I think this move was was amazing. And I've always said this, a great receiving core minimizes the deficiencies on an offensive line. You look at the Minnesota Vikings. They have one of the worst offensive lines in the league, but they have Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, and Dalvin Cook. And their their offense is a top 10 offense. Uh, Matt Ryan with the Falcons. His offensive line is horrible year in and year out, and he's not a mobile quarterback. But they still find a way to move the chains because of Julio and Calvin Ridley. So the Bengals, I think, because they have that great receiving core, that offensive line isn't going to be that much of a problem. Mm, yeah, no, like, like you know, I don't want to make it seem like it can happen, but you saw Justin Jefferson when he walked in, instant impact. I think Jamar Chase... I personally think he was better than him at LSU, or they were at the same level. So I think he can come in and make that type of impact. That's how good he is. And, you know, you're right. There wasn't going to be another Jamar Chase down the line. And I think with that type of guy, that I think he was the best receiver in the draft, regardless of if Devontae Smith won Heisman. I think Jamar Chase was the best receiver out of them three. It wasn't going to be another guy. You name the guys, you can get a tackle, you can get a center that they really need. 
Penny Slate. They call him a generation star. I get that. But like you just named, there's guys out there day two, day three. There isn't another Jamar Chase. So you, you know, they went they went and got their guy, the Joe Burrow Chase connection. And that's good. And like you said, this could be a dangerous, dangerous, dangerous offense, you know. And we keep talking about it. The AFC is getting better. It's getting better. So that division isn't no joke. Baltimore, Steelers, um, the Browns, and the Bengals. And the Browns have a good secondary. So do the Steelers. So do Baltimore. You're going to need guys that can make big plays, and Jamar Chase is that guy. Yeah, exactly. And last year, Joe Burrow had a great season for a rookie, and his receiving core wasn't elite, and his offensive line was piss poor. Oh, yeah. You know, this upcoming season, you're getting a guy in Jamar Chase who looks like an elite receiver. Their receiving core is going to be elite, and their offensive line is going to be improved. And Joe Mixon, hopefully he stays healthy the entire year. So he'll be fine moving forward. And I think Jamar Chase was the right pick for the Bengals at five. And now on to one of the surprise moves of the draft. The Chicago Bears traded up for Justin Fields. They traded up with the New York Giants, I believe, and they snagged Justin Fields, who they hope is their franchise quarterback. The Bears have not had... Luck getting a franchise quarterback in recent history. They went through Trubisky as of recently. They've went through Jay Cutler. They've went went through Rex Grossman. I mean, their last franchise quarterback was Jim McMahon. You know, when he wasn't even a great uh, NFL quarterback. We wouldn't call in terms of numbers. Their franchise QB at a point. He played there for a while. I think Jay Cutler' career is underrated. I believe the Bears have never had a 3,000-yard passer. I could be mistaken. What? Andy Dalton is the first QB that they're going to have that has has had that. Jay Cutler's never thrown for No, he has, but I mean, oh. like, with the Bears. Oh, okay. Wow, okay. So, they got Justin Fields, and do you think Justin Fields is going to be a franchise quarterback with the Chicago Bears? I mean, it seems like their franchise has been quarterback purgatory like a lot of other franchises in the NFL. But I think a lot of Bears fans right now are really excited because Fields might turn out to be that guy. I think a lot of teams would have been excited with Fields. You know, I think NFL has just some fascination over Justin Fields, you know. But it's really hard to look. At, I, this was one of the spots where I didn't want him to go. I wanted him in Atlanta or Carolina or the Niners. I thought those would be the best spots for him and his talents. Chicago is just a dysfunction. Like you said, Mag- Nagy isn't really a good coach. He hasn't shown the ability to be a good coach, but they've traded up for him so which and like we've talked about it earlier Matt Nagy didn't want Mitch it seems like the organization is in agreement that they wanted Fields this was their guy you know so and he has like he has some bright spots to look at Darnell Mooney and Allen Robinson are right there it's a horrible offensive line they don't really have a real running back but you the receivers are okay so that's something you can work with but I think I would lean more towards him being a bust you know he has the talent he has the potential to be one of the best quarterbacks in the league, I believe. But my fanboy for Justin Fields, I, I can't, you know, ju- I think he'll be more likely a bust because of the situation in Chicago and the revolving around it. It hasn't produced any great quarterback, and I don't think he has the ability to. And Matt Nagy hasn't shown the ability to make great quarterbacks. I mean, Mitch was a pro bowler, but then he fell off after that. So I just, I would have to lean towards a bust. The Bears have one of the worst offensive lines in the league. They had the 20th ranked offensive line. Cody Whitehair was great for them. Charles Leno Jr. is a pretty good tackle. But James Daniels, their starting guard, who's pretty solid, was almost injured for the entire year last year. 
he's coming back, so that's a good sign. Their weapons aren't bad. Allen Robinson, Darnell Mooney, you mentioned it. Cole Komet is there too. And you mentioned they don't have a real running back, but I think they do. David Montgomery, I think, is a pretty good running back. And they're going to get Tariq Cohen back, who's yeah. a third down receiving back. So for me, this is tough because I think the offense, the weapons, the defense they have, it's not a horrible situation to be in. Obviously, their defense is one of the better ones in the league. I think they're going to drop down a little bit because they lost Kyle Fuller. But they did have, they do have Jalen Johnson still who showed a lot of He's flashes tough. as a rookie. But I just think they're still dysfunctional because of Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Ryan Pace is a different story. I think right now to his, to his, uh, at, in his time as a GM, he's been labeled the bad GM because of what he did when he drafted Trubisky over Watson and Mahomes. That will always stick with him. If you look at Ryan Pace's history in the draft, it has not been awful. But because of that one pick, it is basically rewritten everything good that he ever did. And now we view him in an entirely different lens. Matt Nagy, Andy Reid protege, was an OC there, was at Kansas City. So he knows about offensive football. Mitchell Trubisky, like you said, wasn't his guy. He came in after. Justin Fields is Ryan Pace's and Matt Nagy's guy. They traded up for him. They believe in him. They think he can be that guy. They don't think his mechanical issues and his inaccuracies are that big of a problem to coach, and they think they can coach it out of him. And I'm not saying they can or they can't, but it's still a wait and see. I think this pick has the potential to rewrite the entire narrative around Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Mm. Because if Justin Fields pans out, we're now looking at Matt Nagy as a quarterback guru again. We're looking at him as a good offensive coach again. We're looking at Ryan Pace as, okay, maybe he's not that bad of a GM. He actually does make some good decisions. But for me, I just think they're under so much pressure. Because Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, if they have a losing season this upcoming season, they might be fired. And if they're fired one year after selecting Justin Fields, a new regime that comes in that might not like Justin Fields is going to come and probably not going to put him in the best situation to succeed. On top of the already underlying cap hell that they're in, I mean, it's going to be really hard to maximize Fields on his rookie contract. And on top of that, if the Bears have to play have have to win now, if Nagy and Pace are under pressure to win now, Fields may be asked to play sooner rather than later. Andy Dalton throws a couple interceptions, they're yeah. gonna be calling for Justin Fields. <laughs> so I think it's a lot for Justin Fields to handle, but I think he has a he has a great work ethic, he has a great character, he's very humble, he's even keeled. So I hope he is successful and he does turn around the Bears franchise because they have not had a good quarterback in forever. But for me, it, it just feels like I'm torn between how I feel about this pick. Because on one hand, I don't think the talent is that bad. He has a solidified number one receiver. But I don't trust the coaching staff and the top of the organization that much to say that, yes, he's going to be successful. Yeah, and like you said, it's the, the coaching staff. It's the people at the top. I think if we had to judge all the QBs and where they got picked, 
you know, Urban Myers, he hasn't been proven, but I think a lot of us would pick him over Matt Nagy. Trevor, uh, Zach Wilson, I'm part of me. I think Robert Sally and Matt Nagy, I think you'd probably go Robert. I'd probably go Robert too. And then Mac Jones and Trey Lance, obviously, without a doubt, have a better situation. So, you know, but not a lot of them are walking in with a number one. You know, Allen Robinson, I think he's an elite receiver, one of the best in the league. So, you know, you got that guy out there. So you, it's not like you're going to be throwing to nothing out there like Jalen Hurts is going to be doing what he was doing when he played. You're throwing to a legit number one. You're throwing to a speedster, Darnell Mooney, a guy who can burn almost anybody in the league. So that's good. You know, you got third down backs. You got receiving backs. So it's like, you know, I hope, like you said, Andy Dalton throws four or five picks and then they throw. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope they be patient with the process because, you know, Fields has a lot of talent. But the question is, can Maggie – can Matt Nagy fix the mechanics of Justin Fields and turn him to a great quarterback? And it's going to be a wait-and-see process, but I think this is probably going to be like Lance, one of those situations where it's really boom or bust for both of them because these are guys with extreme potential, but guys who we just, you know, had we need we we know we know needed a QB, uh, needed a coach to fix them, and Lance got the coach, and we don't know if Fields got that coach. Yeah, and all it takes is one. All it takes is one pick to change the trajectory of your franchise. You look at the Chiefs. Before they drafted Mahomes, they never had great quarterbacks. I mean, they didn't have a great quarterback for a very long time. They were stuck in no man's land, and Mahomes changed that. So all it takes is one guy to change the face of a franchise. We'll see if that's Justin Fields with the Chicago Bears. And it's a wait and see. We'll wait and see what happens. Yeah. But, you know, I wish the best for Bears fans and for Justin Fields, and hopefully he is successful in Chicago. First pick in matter. The Los Angeles Chargers, I think they had a great draft. Uh, For one, they drafted Rashawn Slater, which I think I didn't think he was going to be there at 13, and I don't think any Chargers fans thought that he was going to be there at number 13. Chargers fans were hoping for Panay Sewell, I wouldn't say that. Chargers fans were praying for Panay Sewell, and they were hoping for Rashawn Slater. Rashawn Slater falls to the Chargers, and I think this was a hell of a pick. I mean, you watch this tape. Some scouts and analysts and experts have Slater higher than Panay Sewell. Mm. I mean, Slater on tape versus Ohio State held his own against Chase Young. He has really good agile feet. He has a lot of strength, and... This was a major need for the Chargers. I know that some Chargers fans wanted a corner, maybe a defensive player or a receiver, but I think this pick was offensive line all the way. The Chargers had one of the worst offensive lines in the league last year, and Justin Herbert still had a historic season for a rookie quarterback, the best season we've ever seen from a rookie quarterback with the worst offensive line in the league, and that makes it that much more impressive. And this free agency, they prioritized offensive line by signing Corey Lindsley, uh, probably the best or top five center in football. I would say top three center in football. They signed Matt Filer, who is a good guard who can also play tackle. They Brian Bulaga is there, so he's a really good right tackle. And now they drafted Rashawn Slater. So their offensive line is Rashawn Slater, Matt Fowler, Corey Lindsley. Their guard is, is iffy with Odey Abushi, Abushi and Brian Bulaga. But four of those five guys are really good offensive linemen and can really take the Chargers from being one of the worst last year 
to being at least middle of the pack of this season. And with Herbert, we all think he's going to improve this year. He can take a major leap. You know, and it, it's 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 funny because we were talking about it in the draft. Obviously, Penny was not going to fall to the Chargers, but we thought Slater was going to Carolina. So, you know, that's just wild how that he fell down that far. But I, I do agree with you. I think that offensive line is going to be great this year. And, you know, I think without Patrick Mahomes in that division, we could be talking about Herbert being the best quarterback in that division, possibly. Him and Derek Carr at that top, I think he's that good. And I think with all those weapons, everybody on defense is coming back. They got a new coach who they dealt with some time management last year and a lot of clock mismanagement late in games. But I think with this offense, Justin Herbert, you still got a number one out there. Mike Williams is going to take that next leap. I think this offense could be really good. All they really needed was an offensive line. And like you said, Corey Lindsey is a top three center. In football, you get Rashawn Slater, whose tape was impressive. Holding your own against Chase Young, that's all I need to know. Chase Young was one of the best guys in football that year. So Justin Herbert, you know, they're they're realizing that he's their guy. They're protecting their guy. Rashawn Slater, he said it. I'm here to protect you, big boy. You're my guy. I'm going to protect you. I think that right there is the perfect situation. I'm glad for the Chargers. I'm glad for Herbert. And they should, we should expect a big improvement for the Chargers. You know, we, I know a lot of people expected them to make a big leap. And with an offensive line like this, we should be thinking playoffs for these guys. They have the talent on the roster. They just have to stay healthy. Now you have that offensive line. And even then, Herbert broke records with no offensive line. So imagine what he's going to do with a new retooled offensive line. So I just can't wait and see. Yeah, and I, I think on defense, they did lose Melvin Gord, Melvin Ingram, my fault. They cut and they too. Casey Harrell, they did lose him. So they they have some losses on defense and Rayshon Jenkins signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. But Brandon Staley's scheme, I think, is a good scheme. So I don't think they'll be too bad on defense. I think the division, for me, I still can't pick the Chargers over the Chiefs. Nope. I think the Chargers are near the Broncos because the Broncos just got Teddy Bridgewater and he's a good bridge quarterback, no pun intended. He's going to be a good starter for them. But because the Chargers have Herbert, they will be in every game. And now that they're going to have an improved offensive line, you know, under the under the assumption that Rashawn Slater is going to be their a good a good left tackle, this is really a testament to Joe Lombardi and to see how good of an offensive coordinator that he he really is because in Detroit, he flopped. And in New Orleans, he was an assistant. So we're not sure if he actually is a good play caller. So this is the perfect time to prove himself. But also, the Chargers are still going to have Keenan Allen, Mike Williams. Uh, they lost Hunter Henry, but they signed Jared Cook, who I think He's can good. fill in the void. Austin Eckler, hopefully he stays healthy next year. So they're going to be fine. You know, I think the Chargers organization, Tom Telesco, I think he knew this was the right direction going with Rashawn Slater. And I think Chargers fans, you all knew that Rashawn Slater was the right pick or at least a tackle, whether it be Slater, Elijah Vera Tucker, or Christian Darisol. You needed one of those guys to really say, okay, now let's rock and roll. Now we're going to have an improved offensive line. Now we know that Herbert has the help he needs to get this organization further. Yeah, and, I, and like you said, Derwin James is back. You know, he's coming back. He's a special talent. Joey Bosa is still there. You lose Melvin Ingram, but you have Joey Bosa. That defense, Chris Harris Jr., he's still got a little bit left in the tank, so he's still good. And I think on offense, you know, like you said, Keenan Allen was the number one. But when you when you think about it, a lot of the last year, they was in a lot of games. You know, they was in a lot of games. They just folded late. I think year two, you know, you get a year two of Herbert. Everybody's back there. More the cognuity is more input. And now it's like 
you got a team that can definitely compete for a playoff spot. And even if you don't, you know, you still make those adjustments and get better as a team. So I think that's going to be good for them. And now we just have to wait and see. But I think Herbert making that year two leap with an offensive line is going to be big for them. And shout out to Joe Lombardi, shout out to Brandon Steele. I think they're going to be good for that program. And it's going to be a special thing to see because I can't put them over the Chiefs either. Yeah, but it's hard. Yeah, they're the Chiefs. They'll forever be the Chiefs. But with a team like Denver, I feel like Justin Herbert can put them over the top. Teddy Bridgewater is good, but I think Herbert is better. And with Oakland, they just dropped their whole offensive line. I don't know what they're going to do. I think they're a little bit dysfunctional. So I think the Chargers can make that number two leap. So this was the steal of the draft for me. Oh, we're doing that now? No, we're not doing Uh-oh. it. But this was one of the steals. I didn't put it in my steals of the okay. draft. This one of them. Mac Jones okay. gets drafted by the New England Patriots. And before the draft, I said this. If Mac Jones is not the third overall pick, he's going to slip. And I don't know where he's going to go, but he's going to slip. And the Patriots all along, maybe they wanted Mac Jones. They, you know, they put out there they wanted Justin Fields, which is maybe why the Bears traded up to draft Justin Fields. Uh, there were some rumors about Trey Lance. But Bill Belichick is close with Nick Saban. I'm not surprised. Nick Saban, I mean, they're like best friends. I'm you know? not surprised at Nick all. Nick Saban coached Mac Jones along with uh, Steve Sarkeesian. All they have to say is a lot of great stuff about Mac Jones. By Bill Belichick drafting Mac Jones, it tells me that Nick Saban has told him he's legit. Like, he's legit. He's probably better than Tua. Because <laughs> I think out of college, you watched their tape. Mac Jones is better than Tua. 2-1 college had Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith, Jerry Judy, and Jalen Waddle. And I think Najee, and Najee. Was there. yeah. Mac Jones had Devontae Smith, Waddle, and Najee. And he only had Jalen Waddle for like half the season because he was hurt. So he didn't even have a fully healthy Jalen Waddle. Mac Jones had the highest quarterback rating in college football history and the highest completion percentage in college football history. And I think the Patriots are a perfect fit for Mac Jones. Mac Jones is now going to arguably the best situation of any of these young quarterbacks. They just signed Hunter Henry, John U. Smith, in my opinion, the best tight end duo in the NFL. Kendrick Bourne is no slouch. Nelson Aguilar is no slouch. I hope they draft the receiver day two, and hopefully he doesn't become a bust uh, like a Nikhil Harry, but they still do have Nikhil Harry too. Maybe he can, you know, take a step up. Cam talked highly step. of him. Yeah, yes. And their offensive line with Isaiah Wynn, Michael Wenu, David Andrews, Shaq Mason, Trent Brown. They have a good offensive line. Great defense still. Maybe elite defense. They're back. Cam Newton. We all think he's going to be the starter. I wouldn't be surprised if Mac Jones beats him out. Because Mac Jones, I think, is going to be more accurate than Cam down the field and on short passes. I think Cam gives him that added dimension. But because of how Cam plays, there is always a chance of him to get injured. Mac Jones, to me, I think has been the most slept on and underrated quarterback in this process. Because everybody was under the assumption he was going to be the pick for the 49ers. Which made the whole NFL world completely bash the 49ers. And hate on Mac Jones. I mean, all anybody talked about, all anybody did on social media was discredit Mac Jones, disrespect Mac Jones, and talk down on Mac Jones. And by him going to New England, he went under the radar. 
now nobody's going to now that added pressure on Mac is not there and Mac Jones just gets to play football, play free and not have that the fate of the 49ers future on his back. So I think this was the best spot for him and I'm extremely high on Mac Jones. I have him as my third ranked quarterback behind Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. I think he is better than Trey Lance and Justin Fields and I can't wait when he's in the Patriot he's on the Patriots and he plays and he proves everybody wrong. He is definitely without a doubt the most uh, NFL ready quarterback. You know it's funny cuz like uh Nick Saban and uh Bill Belichick remind me of Popovich and Mike Krzyzewski, like how they're best friends. But Mac Jones is the most NFL ready. And I think him and Cam, it's going to be a fun training camp because they're both walking in with a chip on their soldier, uh, shoulder. Cam Newton's seen this. Guy drafted. He's probably going to come take my spot. I got something to prove. Mac Jones, I slipped. I thought I was going to the Niners. I got something to prove. It's going to be a very enticing, interesting training camp for them. I think either guy is going to be good because this team is that loaded. You know, Hunter Henry, he has injury concerns, but when he can play, he can play. John o. Smith is really good. I hope they draft a receiver. You know, Terrence Marshall's still available. You know, they got some guys. Rondell Moore is still available. He's short, he's small, but he's still available. They can get somebody as a receiver. A yeah, so they can get, you know, Julian Edelman, he just retired, so maybe they can he can fill that void. But like you said, Niners or the Patriots? He fell to the Patriots. Does it really look that bad that he fall to the Patriots? A great destination. You know, this is a great spot. This is a winning organization. They have Bill Belichick, one of, if not the greatest, one of the greatest coaches of all time there. So it's going to be interesting to see how he develops. But I think he's going to develop into a perfectly fine quarterback for them. His comparison is to Matt Ryan. That's a great comparison alone in itself. Matt Ryan's a great quarterback. He never had a Patriot system. I think a Patriot system is only going to elevate Mac Jones. So this is a great spot. I think this is an A plus sign. I didn't even I don't even think the Patriots knew Mac Jones was gonna fall this low to them. So the fact that they got him without really trading up or trading down is perfect for them. And I hope Mac Jones definitely proves the haters wrong because people did not like like you said, and you you predicted it the whole time. If Mac ain't go three, he was gonna drop pretty low, and he did drop low. Nobody was really looking at him. Even Fields ended up going before him. So Mac Jones definitely has a chip on his shoulder being the fifth picked quarterback in the draft and I think he's going to do wonders there yeah and I think Mac Jones not only does he have a chip on the shoulder because he's the fifth pick he's the fifth quarterback picked but also everybody on social media thinks he's some scrub yeah <laughs> I mean everybody is is undervaluing him so much because he played with talent but they didn't have that same knock on Joe Burrow they didn't have that same knock on Tua and everybody talks about these one-year wonders the past couple of quarterbacks that have been drafted high have been one-year wonders. Mm. Kyler Murray, one year played great, that's it. Baker Mayfield, one year played great, that's it. Joe Burrow, one year played great, that's it. A lot of these guys have only played one year and played great. Cam Newton at Auburn, one year played great. He was a Juco player. Yeah, and they, they were fine. So I don't think that really matters, and I don't think that talent argument really matters because Joe Burrow had more talent than Mac Jones at LSU, and... Joe Burrow was the consensus number one pick. But with Max Jones, he's not even worthy of being a first round pick. I mean, I've had people I, I've had I've seen people on Twitter and on social media say Kyle Trask is better than Max Jones. All of this stuff that's so ridiculous. And since when has has potential only meant running? The only reason why Justin Fields and Trey Lance have more potential than Mac Jones is because 
they can run. That's really it. But at the end of the day, the quarterback position is about being a quarterback, reading defenses, and giving the ball to your playmakers. And that's what Mac Jones does the best out of anybody in this draft class. So because of that, I think he's going to have a hell of a career in New England. And he's going to be successful. And I can't wait until we're looking back on this pick years later and saying, wow. Why did everybody overthink this? And, it, and it's funny because he's going to play Zach Wilson every year, twice. And you know what's the thing, too, about this? Is that I'm a Jets fan, so I hope that he doesn't beat the Jets too bad. I hope the Jets beat the Pats. And he plays Tua twice, too. Yes, but I'll say this, too, about Mac Jones. If I were to tell you a quarterback had the best quarterback rating in college football history, the best completion percentage in college football history, and won a national championship in his first year as a starter— you would say, give me that guy. Yeah, 100%. And in a couple years when we go back on that and we say, wow, how did everybody think this guy who had the best quarterback rating completion percentage and won a national championship in his first year, why did we think he was some scrub? People are going to say that a few few years from now. And I'm going to say it right now. I called it because people overthought this way too much when Mac Jones was the third best quarterback prospect in this draft and now, because of his situation, has the chance to have the best career out of any of these guys. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like, people slept on Mac Jones because people don't watch a lot of tape, and it's okay. But he's going to be able to prove a lot of people wrong in this situation. I think it's great for him. It's, like I said before, it's going to be interesting. He's going to play Tua twice. He's going to play Zach Wilson twice, and he's going to get to play Josh Allen twice. So it's going to be – that's definitely going to be something we're going to be talking about for a long time, Tua or Mac how did Zach Wilson get picked over Mac, or how did people think they were on the same? Like, it's gonna be definitely a talk that we're gonna get to talk about. And Trevor Lawrence is also in the AFC, so it's gonna these guys are gonna be connected for a long time, and I can't wait in three to five years to see who's really the best. The Washington Football Team, with the nineteenth overall pick in their faces, mm. they had Jeremiah Owusu Koromoa, J.O.K. Sitting there at 19, staring at their faces. And I think I can speak for the NFL world, myself, and Washington fans. We all thought it was going to be the pick. Anybody that followed the draft, pre-draft, thought that if JOK was there for Washington, they were going to pick him at 19 because they need a linebacker. And JOK looks like the perfect fit is a great tackler, is great in coverage, and they went with Jamin Davis, a linebacker out of Kentucky. And I think that move shocked a lot of people. You know, I'm high on Jamin Davis, but to take him over Owusu Koromoa, I thought that was a bit crazy. Yeah, and it's interesting because you look at JOK, he looks like the prototypical linebacker. You know, he looks definitely like the guy we thought Washington was going to take. I guess taking Jamin Coleman was, you know, a guy Jamin who, Davis. Jamin Davis, pardon me, a guy who was better in pass coverage. I guess that was the idea. But like you said, we were all confused. You know, you look at that defensive line, the defensive line is set. The secondary, I think, is pretty much set. And we thought the linebacker was going to be the next up. And we thought JOK was going to be the guy they're going to take. But, you know, this draft surprised us a lot. And I think that was one of the most surprising picks. I think his Kentucky tape showed that he has the tools to be a great tackler. I know it showed that he wasn't at times, but he's already great in the, in the past. 
in pass coverage. He just needs to bulk up some things in the tackle, and I think he can be that guy that versatility gets to him. He just needs a little bit of footing, and I think that's what they've seen in him, a guy who has potential to be better than JOK. See, for me, I think sometimes in a draft, teams make the mistake of looking at what this guy looks like versus how he plays like. And if you watch the tape, I think it's not even close. Jeremiah Wusukuromo was a better player than him. He's a better tackler. He has a higher motor. He is always on go. And he's the best coverage linebacker in this class. Not to take away from Jamin Davis, because I think that the football team did get a pretty good linebacker in him. But I had him more as a day two pick than a first rounder. But Owusu Kuromoa is 6'1", 216 pounds. Jamin Davis is 6'4", 234 pounds. He ran a 4'4'1 and a 4'3'7 at his pro day. In college, when they faced Florida, Kentucky faced Florida, Jamin Davis covered Kyle Pitts pretty well. So I think that's what got... Washington super excited, Ron Rivera and them, Jack Del Rio, super excited because this guy, I mean, when you look at his physicals, I mean, 6'4", 235, can run as fast as the fastest receiver on your team. I mean, that's rare athletic ability, but on tape, when you watch him, he is a timid tackler, and I think the football team needs a linebacker that can not only cover, but that can be really formidable in the run game and stopping the run. And for me, I just don't know if that's Jamin Davis right now. You know, I think Jeremiah Kromo was better, yeah. but I can understand, you know, when you're 6'1", 216, you, you're basically like a strong safety or a free safety. You know, you have, you have like a strong safety weight and height. So maybe they didn't trust him that much and thought maybe Owusu-Kuromoa might have gotten bullied at the next level. So that's why they trusted Jamin Davis a little bit more. I think that was one of the things that kind of uh, slid Devontae Smith, you know, phys- phys- physique, you know, your his weight, his size. I think that's what people, when scouts go in, they look at your physique and what you can do at that size. And I think although JOK can do, he was better and he can do a lot more. The fact that... Um, What's his name? Jamin Davis. Jamin Davis. He can do what JOK can do, just not as good, but he's also bigger and stronger. So I guess that's the thing that intrigued him. And it's something that also happens in the NBA. Physical tools tend to blind scouts in a way and decide that, okay, this is the guy we're going to go with because his physique is just too something that we just can't ignore. And I think a lot of that went a lot into other positions in this draft. But like you said, this is a guy who's still good. He can still do a lot of things. He is a timid tackler, but with his size, has a chance to be an elite t- tackler. He's good in pass coverage. And with a, you know, a conference that sees George Kittle, Kyle Rudolph, Evan Ingram, Dallas Goddard, like these, Zach Ertz, these are these are people he's going to see a lot. So this is a you know position that they need to play coverage. And I think this is a guy who can come in with the size and definitely improve and get better. This defense has a lot of elite talent. They can definitely... Get him to that level. They just he has to be there and be have that high motor to be better. Yeah, and because Washington is already a lead on defense, I think you know they had some leeway in taking a guy that you know has some risk to him. You know, I I wouldn't have even minded if they took Caleb Farley mm. and had a an elite secondary if you know Farley does live up to his potential. But of course, they took Jamin Davis, and I think they do have the leeway to make a move like this because. They are not desperate for a linebacker. 
even if Jamin Davis doesn't pan out, their defense will still be elite. So this is not a make or break move for Washington. I know a lot of people might have wanted JOK over Jamin Davis, but Jamin Davis is still a good player. Maybe a little bit overdrafted, but it doesn't matter. As long as you go in and produce, nobody will care where you're drafted. So hopefully he does that for Washington. I agree. Now, at the 23rd pick, I believe, the the Vikings traded with the Jets. The Jets moved up and they snagged Elijah Veritaker, who I think is going to be a phenomenal player. The Minnesota Vikings traded back. And this move was interesting. Because when they traded back, I said, wow, don't tell me they're about to go with the defensive player and not address the offensive line. Because in my mock draft, I had the Vikings selecting Elijah Vera Tucker. Mm. And having him there at 14, which is what the Jets actually, they selected him at 14, I thought it was a no-brainer for the Vikings because they need an interior offensive lineman. They have Garrett Bradbury at center, Brian O'Neill, and Ezra Cleveland at tackle. They said Ezra Cleveland is going to move to left tackle again. But with them selecting Christian Derisaw to be the left tackle, it seems like Ezra Cleveland is going to stay at guard. And now the only guard spot they have to solidify is Dakota Dozier's because I think everybody else on the line is pretty solid. But I thought they were going to go Elijah Vera Tucker. And for them to trade back to 23, get extra picks in the third round of the draft, and still take a left tackle who I think can be a really good left tackle in the NFL and Christian Derisaw, I mean, that was a smart move. I mean, a genius move by the Minnesota Vikings addressing a major position of need and having the foresight to see that Christian Derisaw isn't going to be drafted in these spots. So we're going to move to 23 and pick him because while we were watching the draft, I thought that from pick 16 to 22 a lot of them could have taken christian derisol so for them to cross their fingers and hope he didn't get picked and pick him at 23 i thought that was a really good move by the vikings yeah they, they took a gamble and, you know the football gods blessed them and i think when you look at that you look at that team you know the minnesota vikings i feel like kirk cousins is still good i think he could still provide what you need him to provide i think he had a I think he had an underrated year last year. The team didn't play well, but I think him individually, statistically, had a really good year. You know, Justin Jefferson, he broke out and became that number one elite receiver that they need. Adam Thielen is still good. He can still produce. Dalvin Cook is who Dalvin Cook is. I think the defense, you know, they got young corners that can produce. Harrison Smith is still solid. They have a defensive line, I think, that just wasn't healthy last year. I think they'll be back. Anthony Barr, Michael Kendricks, we'll see, but... That offensive line was the biggest trouble that they needed. They needed to get that offensive line intact and getting Christian there. So like you said, while also snagging a couple picks, I think was huge for them. You know, you can get a couple more guys on that roster. Maybe you can, in the second and third, steal a few more guys that you thought wouldn't be there that ends up there like Christian Darisol. But I think getting him was huge in filling that offensive line need because that is the weakest part of their team, I think. And I think that is a position that they need to fill badly. So the Vikings last year had the 26th ranked offensive line. They graded out with the 28th best pass blocking offensive line. Oh my God. Ezra Cleveland started at guard. His natural position in college was tackle. And he allowed a 6.9% pressure rate, which ranked 37th out of 40. And Garrett Bradbury, their center, had a 5.1% pressure rate, which ranked 34th out of 36. And Dakota Dozier was horrible last year as well. Uh, He ranked 36 out of 39 with an 8% pressure rate. 
So they all sucked. In terms of run blocking, they're not a horrible, but pass blocking is where they really struggle. And I think Darius saw six five three fifteen in college. He was an excellent pass blocker. So I think this is going to improve their offensive line on the left side, Kirk Cousins' blind side. And this is the first time they they have taken a tackle in the first round since Matt Khalil in 2012. Matt Khalil, we can say he was a bust for the Vikings. He wasn't as good as his brother Ryan Khalil, and hopefully the same fate is not going to apply to Christian Derisaw. But hopefully this is the move that can at least make the Vikings offensive line a bit average because Kirk Cousins with the Vikings has been having career seasons. Yeah. You know, he's been playing the best football of his entire career, even after switching offensive coordinators, you know, Kevin Stefanski, then going from then going to Gary Kubiak, he still showed out. So Kirk Cousins is not this bad or average quarterback that a lot of fans view him as. I think he's a really good quarterback, but he needs better protection. Because I think that Vikings defense is going to be legit next season. Patrick Peterson, I think he's been a little bit undervalued because he didn't play so well in Arizona. But Arizona asked Patrick Peterson to be on an island every single play. And he was facing elite receivers every single week. So, of course, that's going to bring your numbers down. But he's still a capable corner. Cameron Dantzler is really good. They brought back Mackenzie Alexander. Daniil Hunt is going to be back. Michael Pierce. Dalvin Thomason, they signed him. Anthony Barr, I mean, they're going to have a really great great defense. And I think if Christian Derisaw can even improve that offensive line slightly, Vikings fans have a lot to look forward to next season. Yeah, I agree. And I think, like you said, you said all those names. This defense is going to be legit. I think offensive line is just what they needed to build. 28th and pass with a guy who doesn't really run the ball. You know, Kirk Cousins is a runner. So that that's something you need to fix. He's a, he's a pocket passer. He's somebody who can make plays, but you just got to get him protection. Year two. Now let's see. You're getting Christian Darisol. Hopefully he doesn't become a bust. But now you're filling up those holes. You know, you've read those numbers. Those guys weren't good in pass, in the pass blocking. So they have to improve. Christian Darisol is a step in that improvement. So hopefully you get a guy who could come in and be Kirk Cousins' help. And then that offense could definitely, it already thrived. But getting that protection is going to help them thrive even more. Yeah, I agree. So we'll see what the Minnesota Vikings do next season. I have them as my sleeper team mm. to make the playoffs or at least a team that didn't make the playoffs last year but is going to make it this upcoming season. And it wouldn't shock me if they win the NFC North because I think their defense is going to take a massive jump next season. And talking about the players, we talked about some of the players that got drafted in the first round with these couple of that these last couple of segments. But now we're going to talk about one player in particular. And it's a player of any of our choices. It's which player was the steal of the first round. 32 picks. You can name one player who you think was a steal. I got two. You can name two if you want to. So I want to see who you have first. All right. My first one is a fanboy one. Devontae Smith to Philly. Like, there's no way that's not one of our steals. I feel like. You know, at first I walked into the draft. I thought he was just going to rock with Waddle. I thought he was going to land there. I thought he was the third best receiver. I thought Smith was the second best. Miami, you know, we traded. At first when we traded, I thought we was going to pick Pitts first, honestly. We traded the pick. So then I'm like, all right, Waddle's going to be there at 12. I'm okay with Waddle being there at 12. Watching the draft, Waddle gets picked. Smith keeps falling, and I'm praying, I'm praying we get Smith. Smith gets to us. I feel like that's a steal. We finally get a number one that we've been craving for. You know, we missed out on Jalen Rieger, although he can still be good. 
but we missed out on Jalen Rieger. We could have had Justin Jefferson. We picked J.J. Whiteside over D.K. Metcalf. I thought that was crazy. So we, we've been fiending and urging. Us Philly fans have been urging for a number one receiver, and I think we got that. I know the physical tools bother other people, but this guy is a stud, and I'm glad we got him. And we're also pairing him with Jalen Hurts, so that connection could still be there, hopefully, but I'm just happy we got the number one. Uh, and my number two steal of the draft is Rashawn Slater. I thought him falling that low was impressive. I thought him being there for Justin Herbert, a guy who needed protection, was incredible. They got their guy. You know, I thought he was going to go to Carolina, like I said. He didn't. He fell right there to the Chargers. The Chargers didn't have to move up to get him moved down, nothing like that. They got their guy. So I thought that was impressive for them to get somebody to fill that offensive line need, and those are my two steals. So Devontae Smith, that was a good pick. I'll say this, though. I think the steal of the first round was Caleb Farley Ooh. to the Tennessee Titans. And the reason I say that is because the biggest problem was on the Titans defense last year was two things. Was a lot of things, actually. But the pass rush, they did, they couldn't create any pressure. And their second secondary was god-awful. They released Adoree Jackson. They released Malcolm Butler. So they didn't have any cornerbacks, even though they did sign Janoris Jenkins, who was a man-to-man corner. But right now, their starting corners are Janoris Jenkins, Christian Fulton, and Kevin Johnson. If I were a Titans fan, that wouldn't make me feel good at all. And Caleb Farley, to me, is the best corner in this draft. He should have been a top 10 pick if he didn't have those back concerns. But he's 6'2". He runs a 4-2-8, blazing fast. He was a receiver, but transitioned to cornerback. So he has those receiver ball hawk skills, but he is a corner. And when you watch him in college, the plays he made, the jump he has on the ball, his instincts, it's second to none in this draft class. I mean, people love Patrick Sertan, J.C. Horn, but Patrick Sertan doesn't have that speed. I don't know if he's going to be able to be put on an island against guys and really cover them efficiently. He reminds me of like Brandon Browner. J.C. Horn, I think he is a little bit better in that. He has some speed on him. I think he ran like a 4-4-7 or a 4-3-7, one of those. And he's the son of a Hall of Fame player. So the thing about J.C. Horn is that he just holds too much. And in the NFL, those might be pass interferences. Caleb Farley, to me, is an elite cornerback prospect. I think he's better than Jeff Okuda coming out of college. Mm. And Jeff Okuda was the third overall pick. So for the Titans to get him at pick number 22, I think it was 22. It might have been 22. I think it was 22. Was a steal because now you have Caleb Farley, Janoris Jenkins, Christian Fulton, if he can live up to his potential, and Kevin Johnson. And I know that a lot of mocks have the Titans either going edge rusher or corner. I think corner was more likely because edge rusher, they solved that with Bud Dupree and getting to Nico Altry. Still have Jeffrey Simmons and Harold Landry. So I think they're fine in that department. I also wouldn't have been shocked if they drafted Jeremiah Usukuromoa because I know that Jion Brown is like on a, he he's only has one year left on his contract. Yeah. But Caleb Farley dropping this far, I mean, this was a steal of the draft and we might be looking back on this pick and, and saying that Caleb Farley is a top five corner in the NFL. I mean, that's how much potential I think he has. Mm, that's you said a four two eight? Four two eight. That's for a corner? For a corner. Six two? Yeah. 
So he's big and he's fast. Yeah, so you could put him on an island. He can cover anybody. Mm-hmm. I think he is he going to speed, be. Yeah. Yes, I think he has. He is the steal. Hopefully the he stays healthy so for them. Yeah, I mean, back surgery is definitely a concern, but we'll see. I mean, some people have said it's not that serious. Some have said it is serious. I think a back injury is always serious. Yeah, I mean, they said that about Michael Porter Jr. too. Yeah, well, he sat out a whole year. Yeah, that's true. And now he's balling. Yeah, he's a so dog we'll now. we'll see what uh, Caleb Farley does. Now for our last segment of the episode. This episode, we talked about the entire first round of the draft. Well, not the entire first round. We talked about the main storylines of the first round. And possibly next episode that we do, we'll, we'll talk about like the other rounds and further detail in the teams and stuff. But this is the last segment. Top five most surprising moves of the first We're round. Go one, 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 one. Uh, we could do it. Yes. Yeah, okay. So, my first one is Jalen Waddle going <laughs> going six to the Miami Dolphins. Okay. Like I know that Jalen Waddle is legit. He's he's great. But six for me was a little bit too high. The Dolphins did get a really good receiver in Jalen Waddle, a good slot receiver. But I think six was a little bit too high for Waddle. I also had number one. That was obvious. Miami taking Waddle. Like I said before, when I was talking about the Eagles, I just thought Devontae Smith. He's sitting right there. I thought if they were going to go receiver, they were going to pick Devontae Smith. I didn't see Jay. They never talked about Waddle. Waddle was never linked to Miami. I didn't expect Waddle to go to Miami. I thought he was the third best. I thought he was, you know, I didn't think he'd be a top ten pick. You know, I thought Penny would probably go to Miami, but I just Devontae Smith. He just. He did too much on the field better than Waddle to me. And then Jamar Chase was gone, so I didn't expect another receiver to go that high at six. But that would be my surprising for one. So second for me is Alex Leatherwood, Las Vegas Raiders. I mean, for them to pick him 17th was ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, I thought Leatherwood was going to be there in the second round. This past season at Alabama, he did not play that well. He had a really down season. But this is what John Gruden does. I mean, he loves players from Clemson and Ohio State. He drafted Trayvon Mullen. And I'm about to get the depth chart out right now just so I could fact check myself. But he all like he has been drafting players from winning programs in college so so much. Cullen Farrell. We can say he was overdrafted. They also drafted um Damon Arnett. You know, I think he was overdrafted as well, but he went to a winning program, so it was fine for John Gruden. And now add Alex Leatherwood to the list. I mean, I don't think he's better than Tevin Jenkins or Sam Cosme. Tevin fell too, right? Yeah, and for for Leatherwood to go 17, oh, man, this was a crazy pick to me. This reminds me of Andrew Thomas to the Giants. I mean, I think Andrew Thomas was deserving of it, though. I, I thought he hasn't panned out yeah, so I, far, but he was deserving of it. I thought the they could have picked somebody higher, you know. But um, number two for me is Steelers take uh, Harris. I thought like you know I didn't think a running back would go in the first round, and I thought the Steelers had an offensive line that they needed to fix badly. I don't remember who was there at the moment, but I just feel like no, I do remember Tavon Jenkins was there. They could have picked somebody there, you know. The Steelers had a bottom ten offensive line in the M- in the NFL one of the worst in the league. And I think Najee Harris, you put him in a situation now where, yeah, he don't get me wrong, he had a great year in Alabama. He can make people miss. You know, he can run people over. He's pretty quick. But he's running behind a pretty horrible offensive line. 
And you still have Big Ben back there who's about like 40 years old. He's not a runner. He's old. He's injury prone. So I I feel like offensive line was something they needed to fix first. They could have waited for a running back. You know, there was going to be running backs in the second round. They could have waited for. But that was my surprising pick. And my third was Jamin Davis, 19, the Washington football team. I like Jamin Davis as a prospect, but I thought he was a day two prospect or at most like the 32nd pick in the draft or like between the 28th to 32nd pick. For the football team to draft him over Jeremiah Wusakuromoa, that really surprised me. I get the physical stuff is there with Jamin Davis, but 19 for me was a little bit too high. Mm. My, my number three is Tony to New York. I had him as I didn't even have him as a top five receiver. In my opinion, I had uh, Bateman in front of him, Marshall Jr. in front of him. Obviously, we know the three in front of those guys. I thought they were if they were going to go receiver, one of those two guys, I thought they were going to go offensive line or edge. To be honest, I didn't expect them to go receiver. And if they did go receiver, I was going to see Marshall or Bateman. I didn't really see Tony. He's kind of like I just thought Bateman was going to be higher. He was going to be picked at that spot. But that was probably a surprising pick for me. So fourth for me is the same guy, Kadarius Tony. I did not think he was going to get picked at 20. You know, I'm not going to say that I have those guys higher like Terrace Marshall or Elijah Moore or Bateman because Kadarius Tony reminds me a lot of Debo Samuel. He can do a lot of things. But for me, the Giants are already solidified. Kenny Galladay, Darius Lane, Sterling Shepard, they signed John Ross. Like, I mean, their receivers are good. So I thought they could have went offensive line here and gotten Daniel Jones some protection because their best offensive lineman right now is Andrew Thomas. Kevin Zeitler, they released him. I mean, this offensive line is not going to be that good. So I don't know if they would have gone Tevin Jenkins because they do have Nate Soldier and Andrew Thomas. But at least like edge rusher maybe. You know, could have gone edge rush with Quiddy Pay or getting a guy like that, but Jason was on the board too. Still, yeah, Jason Oway was on the board, so I just didn't think they were going receiver. And if they were, might as well just stayed at your pick and drafted Devontae Smith. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, my fourth was Payton Turner to the Saints. You know, they the Saints have been linked to Trask a lot. Wait, did the Giants have the ability to draft Devontae Smith? I think they did. No, we traded up and got him. They, oh, yeah, they, you we, did. They was yeah, in front of us. That's and true. We, uh, the Cowboys were in front of them. We traded. Yeah, Smith. that's true. Kaboom. Yeah. Woo! Because they was, yeah, thank God. Because they would have took them. Without a doubt, they probably would have took them. Um, yeah, Peyton Turner to the Saints. I, You know, I've seen the Saints. I thought they were going to pick Kyle Trask. That was the guy in my mind. They've been linked to him a lot. Or well, I thought they were going to pick another cornerback to line up with Marshawn Lattimore because they just lost Janoris Jenkins. I even thought they were going to go receiver, you know, losing Emmanuel Sanders, their second guy who filled the big void for them when Michael Thomas went down, or I thought they were going to go tight end, but I guess they went Payton Turner. I don't know too much about him. He was kind of a mystery to me, so that's why it would be more of a surprising pick for me. And the fifth to me is Travis Etienne. I just think that Etienne would have been there in with the Jaguars' first pick in the second round. Yeah, For them to take him 25th, I think it was kind of a – not a reach, but kind of a reach. I'm gonna, yeah, it was a reach. I would have not taken any running back in this draft with the first round pick. They already had James Robinson, who played really well for them last year. I know ETN brings another dimension in terms of his running ability and as a pass catcher. But to me, drafting Travis ETN at 25 was a little bit too high. But I think I guess it's good because he's now reunited with Trevor Lawrence. It, it gives Lawrence some familiarity there. So I guess I can understand it, but it was a surprise to me at 25. 
my five was the same as you for the same reasons kind of for Harris. I didn't see a running back. Like this this running back class didn't show me any generational talent to say, okay, first round runner. Not to mention James Robinson. He played incredible last year for that team when he stepped in. So I didn't I feel like they didn't need to waste that pick on a running back. They could have waited in the second round, could have got him. Or even if Javante Williams was there, he could have got him too. I didn't really see them making sense getting the first round. I feel like there was other needs in that spot. So but that was you know, the Clemson connection, it makes sense, but could have waited. That would be one of them. That was my five surprising picks, though. Yeah, I agree. So those are our top five most surprising picks. And that's going to do it for this episode of the Pick Aside podcast. So this is, in fact, episode 83. Ugh. So 17 more until episode 100, which is going to probably be a special episode Hopefully we're at 4K subscribers by that time. We're about, I think, 90 subscribers away from 4,000. So that'll be a good moment. We'll definitely be there before. Yeah. But as always, if you guys like our stuff, you can find us on social media, on Instagram and TikTok at Pick Aside Podcast, on Twitter at Pick Aside Pod. We always give you guys updates on when we're going to go live and when the, next, when the next episode is out and when the segments are out on Twitter. And also, if you guys would like to review and rate our podcast and Apple Podcasts, you can do that. We're almost at 30 reviews, so it would mean a lot if you guys could go and give us a review. It helps us a lot and helps us grow. So as always, thank you guys for listening to the podcast or watching if you're watching on YouTube. We appreciate it, and we'll see you guys next time. This is BJ Kissel from KC Sports Network. In case you didn't know, the show you are listening to right now, as well as our shows, are a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Blue Wire was founded in 2018 on the concept that independent podcasts would be more successful if they work together. It's something we've actually done locally with our network in Kansas City as well. We're all stronger together. Today, Blue Wire has grown to feature 300 shows led by former athletes, media professionals, and passionate fans. Over the past few years, Blue Wire has privately raised more than $10 million to expand their team, podcast network, and business operations. Now, they are raising another round on WeFunder. WeFunder is a crowdfunding service that connects startups with investors. It's a cool platform that gives everyone the opportunity to be a part of a growing startup. You can invest for as little as $100. In other words, you don't have to be a millionaire to invest in cool companies on WeFunder. BlueWire is raising money to expand their sales team and improve operations, which will in turn help this show continue to grow. If you would like to be a part of the BlueWire investment round, or want to find out more information, go to wefunder.com slash bluewire.